You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. Well, hey, Resonate, it's good to be with you. Uh, my name is Josh, and I'm one of the pastors here. And we are entering into week seven of Church Online. Uh, I can say with confidence that we miss you. Uh, we long for the day we get to get together again. Uh, I, I want to say thank you for tuning in. I know this experience is lacking in so many ways, but by God's grace, we're staying connected and we're growing and we're making the most of this season. So if you'll keep showing up, I'll keep showing up. God's going to keep showing up. Uh, let's keep progressing through this thing together. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we, we decided to move back to the basics of our faith and talk through uh, what are the foundational things that it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so the first week we said, uh, we, we covered believing the gospel. And then from that, we said we don't just stay in belief, but we move to uh, actually moving to an apprenticeship under Jesus so that we can become like him. And then after that, we move to today's sermon. We're going to wrap up uh, the, the natural progression that's next. Uh, but because I think many of you might not believe me or you might not like what the next step in the progression is, uh, I want to show this to you in the Bible. Uh, so in Mark chapter 3, Jesus uh, models for us and kind of shows us the, the natural progression of what it means to be his follower. And it's when he calls his disciples in Mark chapter 3. It says this, it says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed 12 that they might, and here, underline this in your Bible, they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. So that's, that's the picture. I'm calling you to be my disciple so you can be with me, Jesus says, then I can send you out and you can have spiritual authority. You're going to be with me. You're going to be sent out with spiritual authority. So our connection with Jesus doesn't just stay in one place. It's not just so that we can go to heaven one day. The idea you see throughout the whole New Testament is once you become a Christian, you start to take on Jesus's characteristics and you do what Jesus did, which begs the question, what, what did Jesus do? Why did he come into this world? What was his mission? What was his design? Well, in Mark chapter one, we, we see what he's doing. In verse 35, it says this, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and he left the house and he went to a solitary place where he prayed which is a good thing that we should do to be like Jesus. Verse 36, Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they explained, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to a nearby village so I can preach there also. This is why I have come. Let us go to another village so I can preach there because this is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So in this season of coronavirus, we have tried to say no circumstance, no season changes the command of God on the life of the disciple. But listen, I, I get it. For a lot of Christians, the, the topic of sharing the gospel is tough. It's scary. We feel insecure. Some of us just got sweaty thinking about sharing the gospel. Uh, our fear of rejection is real. We don't want to mess up our reputation with people. Uh, this is a part of the discipleship process that some others say, like, man, that's for the special Christians, that's for the gifted, extroverted Christians, uh, but that's not for me. And listen, I, I get it. No one likes making other people feel socially awkward. No one likes going door to door, uh, knocking on doors, asking people if they want to buy knives or buy encyclopedias or buy vacuums. or Like this salesman concept makes us all nervous. Uh, when I was in high school, I was in a 
I was a part of a program that was like this nationwide initiative called Share Jesus Without Fear. And we would go door to door knocking on uh, people's doors, just talking to them, doing a survey. Uh, and I never once shared the gospel without being terrified. It should have been called like Share Jesus While Being Terrified and Losing All Your Friends. That's what it felt like to me. If I knocked on my friend's door, I was just petrified. So I get it. I really get it. But it still begs the question, if this is the call on our lives, if this is the command on our lives, is there a way that we can share Jesus without fear? Is that possible? And I think there is. And I think the disciples modeled this. I think the early church walked in this. And I think the Bible teaches us how we can do this. So if you have your Bible, would you grab it and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3? This is going to show us the pathway to sharing Jesus without fear. So just some quick context uh, while you're turning there. Uh, the guy that wrote this book, his name is Peter. He was one of the 12 disciples that was called. Uh, this book was written about 30 years after Peter's called to be one of the disciples of Jesus. So if you rewind a little bit, uh, there's just this day 30 years ago that Peter is on a fishing boat with his brother, and they are just fishing, him and Andrew, minding their own business. And this teacher named Jesus comes along, and he, he yells out to them on the boat, Hey, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. And Peter and Andrew drop their nets, and they follow after Jesus. Even in the first calling of Peter, Jesus explains to him in terms that he would understand what they're going to do. Hey, follow me. Be with me. Why? Because I'm going to make you fishers of men. You're a fisherman of fish, but what you're doing with fish, you're going to now do with men, but you're going to follow me, and I'm going to teach you how to do that, and I'm going to trust you to be able to do that. So Peter says yes to Jesus, and he embarks on an adventure of a lifetime. Peter doesn't have a cool experience with Jesus in college and then grow up and graduate to something else. No. Peter meets Jesus and is moved to his core. His whole life is changed. His whole family is changed. His whole world is altered. His name, Simon Peter, like even that has this beautiful identity thing happening. Peter is all in. He has a moment of uh, you know, second-guessing Jesus and walking away from Jesus, and then he has this reinstatement moment uh, with Jesus. Peter has been all in for a while. He's been to jail multiple times. He's traveled as a missionary leader, and now he's operating with apostolic authority where he's, he's being used by the Spirit to write the New Testament. It's profound. And he's writing this letter from Rome, and Rome is under the reign of Emperor Nero. And Peter's writing to a group of churches in Asia as they're experiencing severe and deadly persecution. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, here's what Peter says to the churches. Now, who will want to harm you if you were eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what's, doing what's right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that is what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. So these words were written just four years before Peter is actually martyred for his faith in Christ in Rome. Christians are suffering under Nero. This is not just crisis. This is severe persecution where their lives are on the line. And what does the Spirit of God 
speak through Peter to communicate to the churches. What does he say? Be eager to do good. Do not be afraid. Live with hope. Proclaim the gospel. Why is this the message to a church under persecution? He's reminding them, God is reminding his people, the goal and the aim of the Christian faith is not to be safe. It's not just to learn about Jesus and keep it to ourselves. It's not just to to stay with Jesus. No, it's to leave in the power of Jesus to minister to those in the world who don't know Jesus at whatever cost necessary. So he tells them, even in the face of suffering, have an eagerness and a readiness. These are the two words he uses. Eager to do good, ready to share. Eager to do good, ready to share. So honestly, uh, in this season of coronavirus, would that characterize our lives? If Jesus did an inventory of our lives, would it look like we were eager to do good and ready to share? Would there be something inside of us that says, yes, this is what's happening all the time. I'm ready no matter what circumstance I'm in. This is the position I have. Uh, Because if, if not, maybe that's why there's so much fear associated with sharing the gospel. So so maybe in this text, there's a model for us on a way that we can engage the lost world without having fear. And so let's walk through some of these things. So number one, that this thing teaches us, this text teaches us, it says, be eager to do good. Why? As a way to demonstrate the gospel. So be eager to do good as a way to demonstrate the gospel. So listen, being good news as a person is in partnership with sharing good news to other people. So listen, you, your life, your personhood, your vibe should be good news. There should be something about you in your life as a Jesus follower. There should be an eagerness about you, a willingness about you, a posture about you that says, I want to serve, I want to help, and this is normative. This is how I live all the time. Um, Think about your family on Thanksgiving, like your mom prepping everything, getting ready for Thanksgiving or Christmas with such an eagerness for people to show up that the table is set, the decorations are up, and your family's looking out the window waiting for others to show up. That's what it means to be eager. Uh, Chris Routon, the the pastor in Eugene, told me a story about a guy he knows who's a follower of Jesus who keeps a, a gas can in his car so that if he ever finds someone who's Uh, ran out of gas on the side of the road. This guy is eager to help them, eager to give them gas, eager to share about Jesus. Uh, the, The picture here is like you set the table and you let God tell you when it's time to eat. You are prepared and you are eager. So if someone is complaining or hurting, you're willing to jump in. If someone loses a job, you jump in. If someone says they're new to town, you jump in. Uh, there, there used to be a group of guys in Pullman that would give free oil changes to single moms. There was, there was just this sense of scheming on how we can do good, how we can be good news to people as a way uh, of sharing good news with people. So, so that'd be number one, be eager to serve. Number two, Live with so much overflowing hope, people ask about your life. The the scripture says, if if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. So there's almost like this this insinuation from the Spirit of God that that you're going to have so much hope that people are going to ask about it. If you know Jesus, 
who's resurrected from the dead, who's gifted you the gospel freely, you're going to operate with hope, and you need to be ready to share that. Uh, I was in an Uber in Dallas, Texas, with Taylor Garnica, our pastor in Cheney, and we were riding from a house to the airport at 4 a.m., and Taylor is sharing the gospel with this Uber driver in the front seat. I'm in the back seat trying to sleep, and I remember thinking to myself, like, Taylor is ready, in season and out of season, He's living with overwhelm, overflowing hope, and he's ready to share the gospel. And I'm thinking, I don't even know if the Holy Spirit is awake at 4 a.m., but, but Taylor was ready to go. And, and so he was ready to explain the gospel. So listen, church, this, this is a unique season where hope can stand out. Well, I'm not talking about cheap hope or man-centered hope. I'm talking about a hope that is unshakable because it's connected to a God that is immovable. And profound. So, in the middle of a world where there's chaos and there's uncertainty and there's fear and there's control and there's crisis, we have a hope that is unshakable. Uh, but listen, if I'm if I'm honest, um, I get worried about us because I think there is a lot of cheap hope being propagated in our world, being tossed around, and we are tempted to believe it. So, phrases like uh, I don't know if you've heard this phrase, uh, the phrase "the best is yet to come." is a very popular phrase that is out there. And when I hear the phrase, the best is yet to come, my first thought is, is that person talking about heaven? Is that person talking about a future where we have unhindered intimacy with God, completely connected with God in eternity? Is that the best is yet to come, like heaven is the future? Uh, but, but oftentimes, the best is yet to come is a hope in some future version of yourself where you're more blessed, you're more awesome, you have more money, and you're 10 pounds lighter. You weigh less, you look better. That's the best is yet to come, that there's this future. Listen, that is a cheap hope. There is no guarantee that in this life the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come is a Frank Sinatra song, not a Bible verse. So be cautious of cheap hope. There's another phrase that says, uh, God wouldn't bring you this far just to leave you here. God wouldn't bring you this far just to leave you here. And I know something about us says, oh, that's good. I like that. I'm going to quote that. No, no, no. Uh, he might. God brought Moses to the edge of the promised land and left him there. That's what happened to Moses. God absolutely took him that far to leave him there. Why? Why did he take him there? Because God is the promised land, not the promised land is the promised land. God was connected to Moses and Moses had experienced God and that was the true promised land. So you put your hope in God, not in some future version of yourself or some future possession you might have or some future land you might take or some future career or some future hope, or some future home. None of that stuff is what the Bible means when it says a hope that is so secure, people will ask about it. The world is looking for real hope, a hope that can suffer, a hope that can grieve, a hope that in the midst of chaos is defiantly joyful, hope that stands out, that's calm in the midst of fear, that, that doesn't fight for control and fight to be on top, a hope that is settled because it knows that God is settled and that our eternity is settled, and a hope that knows that God is on his throne. So Peter is saying to a church, that God is saying to a church, you have hope because you know who God is. And listen, I, I don't want to take this too far, but the church in this story, the churches that are experiencing the, the, 
the persecution of the Roman Empire, Christians were being sent to the Colosseum, to the arena with lions. They were being put on display. Their martyrdom was put on display. And the thing that stood out in the midst of terrible persecution was their hope. So they would willingly go to the arena because they had hope. And so live with so much overflowing hope that people ask about your life. Number three, be so prepared and so fluent that you can share Jesus easily and regularly. The Bible says, have an answer, be prepared. So listen, church, work to become fluent in the gospel. Uh, growing up, my mom spoke Spanish, my grandma spoke Spanish, but they like didn't teach me as much, and I'm still mad at them for it. But I have a lot of insecurity when it comes to speaking Spanish because I don't know it very well. And, and so many of us are afraid to speak the gospel because we don't know it very well. So listen, practice the gospel, rehearse it, listen to others, make note cards if you have to, do whatever it takes to become native in the gospel to the point where you can dream in the gospel. Prepare yourself, ready yourself so that you can speak when the time comes. Uh, just this last week, our family was doing some gardening at our house, and the garden was so bad in the front yard that we were digging up some stuff, and midway through, my six-year-old daughter, Harper, finds like the head of a statue. And so we dig it out and we pull out the statue. It's like two foot tall. And it's, it's creeping me out immediately. I'm like, throw that statue in the trash. My kids are like, no, we love this statue. We found it. We love it. This is our statue. So I Google what the statue looks like. And I find out it's a statue of St. Francis of Assisi. And then all of a sudden my perspective changes because I love St. Francis of Assisi. He was a, uh, a monk that lived in modern day Italy like 800 years ago, but he had a way of living that affected a guy named Rich Mullins who affected my life in college because of his way of living. So long story short, I'm like interested in the statue now. And so we, uh, we, we clean it up and they actually get to keep it. Uh, but there's a quote by St. Francis of Assisi that I think has hurt us in, in this space of being able to share the gospel. And here, here's the quote. Francis said, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. Preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. And, and I think what people have done to that is they've said, thank you, I don't have to speak the gospel. I can simply demonstrate it with my life. I can be a good neighbor. I can be kind, but I don't have to say anything, which is, is very offensive to St. Francis because he was a preacher. But Francis is trying to communicate to us that demonstration of the gospel goes hand in hand with proclamation of the gospel. And so there was people proclaiming the gospel in Francis's time who didn't have a life that demonstrated the gospel. So he's telling them, you're preaching with your life. And yes, Resonate Church, you are preaching with your life. But God tells us to also preach with our words. And so yes, the gospel is to be demonstrated, but it's absolutely supposed to be proclaimed. We see this in social justice movements. We see this all the time where people get passionate about clean water. And Christians, you should be passionate about getting clean water to everyone who doesn't have water. But what a greater injustice if you give out clean water while never sharing the living water that is available to others. So everything we do that is good works should be a pathway to sharing good news. Jesus lived this, the disciples lived this. There is a certain picture that goes hand in hand. We demonstrate and we proclaim. We, we share and we live the gospel. 
We have to live this stuff out. We can't just use our lives. We have to use our words. So number four, when it comes time, proclaim Jesus boldly with gentleness and respect. Proclaim Jesus boldly with gentleness and respect. And so we have to be a people that that live with urgency. We've got to be willing to seize the moment when the moment comes, but we also have to be willing to simultaneously play the long game. So oftentimes, the first time someone hears the gospel, they don't respond to the gospel. There's been studies that show it takes between seven to 10 times for someone to hear the gospel before they respond. And so you don't know if you're number one, you're number three, you're number five. And, And praise God, sometimes we're number seven and we get to share the gospel and people respond. But, but we need to share it in a way that people don't feel put off by us, people don't feel disrespected by us, people don't feel like we're being rigid or harsh with them, but, but we need to shoot our shot when the time comes. We need to step forward and live with urgency while simultaneously trusting that God is sovereign and in control. And so uh, I love what Tim Keller says. He says, share the gospel in such a way that even if the person you're sharing with doesn't believe it, they walk away wishing it were true. Share the gospel in such a way that even if they don't believe it, they walk away wishing it were true. Uh, I think for us to recognize that we need to be the kind of people that when we share the gospel, we do it in such a way that the person we share the gospel with, that, that later in their life, when life circumstances change and they want to explore God, we are the first phone call they make because of how well and how kindly we shared the gospel with him. So yes, Peter's saying, live it out. Live it out. Be eager to live out the gospel. But he's also saying, be ready to proclaim the gospel. Uh, so for us, as we read 1 Peter 3, we have to ask the question, what is this asking us to obey? How can we obey this text? And so I have a couple simple ways that we can obey the word of God. So number one, practically, ask God to give you a burden for the lost. Ask God to give you a burden for the lost. Because listen, a love for Jesus ultimately turns into a life that loves what Jesus loves, hates what Jesus hates, is burdened by what Jesus is burdened by. And Jesus is absolutely burdened for the lost. So much so he came and he gave his life for the lost. He's burdened by that and we should be too. So I wanna ask you this honestly, and I don't mean to shame us or indict us, but but just for fun, if, if magically God answered all of your prayers from last Sunday to this Sunday, he just said yes to everything you prayed from last Sunday to this Sunday, how many non-believing people in your life would have become believers because you prayed for them? We have got to take our non-believing friends to the throne of God and plead with God to save them, to change them, to soften their hearts, to move in their lives. How often are we praying for our non-believing friends? How often are we burdened for them so much so that we pray? Uh, recently, there was a movie that came out called uh, Harriet, and it's the story of Harriet Tubman, how she helped free over 300 slaves in the Underground Railroad. And there's a scene towards the end of the movie where they're trying to get Harriet to calm down a little bit because pol- politicians are getting mad, influential people want it to slow down, slave owners uh, are, are getting angry, and so they're saying, hey, maybe this is enough. Maybe we should stop doing what we're doing. And in a moment of, uh, of just pure like adrenaline and, and, and motivation, Harriet Tubman speaks out and she says, I remember what it was like to be a slave. I can't stop what I'm doing because I was a slave and now I have freedom. 
And because I have freedom, I owe freedom to every one of the slaves that are out there. So no, I'm not going to stop. And you don't tell me what I can or cannot do. I remember what it was like. And I'm burdened for them. And so in that same way, we have to operate as people who remember what it was like to not have Jesus and be burdened by the fact that there are many others in our lives who don't have Jesus. So the, so the story is if, if I own Christ, if I possess him, then I owe him to those around me. If you own the gospel, you owe the gospel. That's the picture. And so ask God for a burden for the lost. Number two, make sure that you know how to share the gospel. Really practically, are you equipped? On the spot, right now, could you articulate the message of Jesus to someone in such a way that if they responded to the message, they would be saved? Are you fluent? Are you ready? And if you're not, that's okay. Be, be honest. Humble yourself. Ask for help. Go to your leader. There's no shame in this. Go text your village leader. Text your huddle leader. Ask your pastor. Say, I am not confident in my ability to share the gospel. Will you help me? Can we practice? There's no shame in that. But make sure you know how to share the gospel. And number three, and this might be the hard part. Commit to have a gospel conversation with one person in the next month. I'll commit to it. You commit to it. Let's, as a whole church, commit to share the gospel, to have a gospel conversation with one person in the next month. Look at those in your life. Start to pray. Start to ask God, who is that one person that I need to share with? And listen, you never know what God is doing. You never know what people are going through. You never know the battle that's being experienced by them. So maybe it's a colleague at work. Maybe it's a family member that you're around right now. Maybe it's a a person from college in your sorority or fraternity or in your sports team or in your dorm, who does the Lord bring to mind that you need to reach out to and you need to tell them, I love you. You know my story. I know your story. But listen, could I set up a time with you where I tell you about Jesus? I remember coming home from a mission trip in high school. And my dad picked me up from the airport. I'm like 16 years old. And I've been sharing the gospel overseas with people I didn't even know. And I felt so burdened by the fact that I'd never shared the gospel with my dad. And so we stop on the way home at Arby's and I'm nervous and I'm getting sweaty and I'm just like eating French fries. And I'm like, this is it. I got to tell my dad the gospel. And so I just start to tell him and I'm like, dad, do you know that there is a God who's responsible for this whole world? And that God loves us but we did not love him in return. We sinned and we ran from this God, but he loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus into the world to live perfectly in our place, to die sacrificially in our place and to raise from the dead victoriously to give us the freedom of forgiveness, to gift us righteousness that we could not earn, to give us confidence to stand before God knowing that we are clean. What a gift that is. What great news that is. And dad, if we don't believe that, then we have to stand before God on our own and we do not have enough good works. We do not have enough good in our, in, in our own to make that conversation go well with God. And I'm 16 years old. I share this with my dad and it does not work. It flops completely. Uh, he doesn't believe. I Sadly enough, I went into the conversation feeling a lot of anxiety. I shared the gospel. We get in the truck and we start driving home. And here's what's funny. Um, it didn't work that day. But I was injected with joy. And I drove home in the truck filled with joy. 
And here's the best kept secret in all of Christianity. The thing that is covered in the most fear, sharing the gospel, is also the source of the most joy. You and I have to get our minds around this. We, we evangelize all the time. Like you have friends that say, hey, you got to go to this uh, sandwich shop and try this sandwich. And you go and you enjoy the sandwich and then you tell them you enjoy the sandwich and there's a joy there. And here's what's crazy about experiencing something good. That your joy is complete, not when you just have the joy, but when you share it with someone else and they experience the joy as well. I was recently watching Star Wars with my six-year-old daughter, and I wasn't even watching, she may be too young, but I don't even care, we're watching it, and I'm mostly watching her watch Star Wars. So my joy in Star Wars was completed when I watched my little girl have joy in Star Wars. I found joy in watching her have joy, and that is how it works in the gospel. Your joy is complete. You don't fully experience joy in something until you share it. And you can share Jesus without fear by following the the, the demonstration that leads to a proclamation, that leads to a life that is fueled with prayer for the lost. And this can become normative in our life. And I submit to you, this is the secret to joy. It's found in sharing what you have. If you are looking for joy in your Christian life, you do not need a worship concert. You do not need a personal three-day retreat. You do not need so many of the disciplines that we've listed, though all of that is beautiful and good. If you're looking for joy, you need to share the gospel. If your village wants more joy, they need to see that they share the gospel when someone comes to Christ. There is a reason baptism service is the most joyful Sunday of the the, the month or the year, or however often you do baptism, because it is a story of the gospel being shared and received and dead people coming to life. So listen, Resonate Church, I, I love you. But a private faith is a stagnant faith. A personalized faith that just stays to yourself. A safe faith is a stagnant faith. So even in the season of social distancing, you and I must share the gospel. Our joy, our faith, and our power depend on it. It's God's design for us, and we need to obey him in this. So let's be the kind of people that are willing to walk through the fear in order to worship Christ And let's do so, so that we might find our joy in Christ again. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much that Jesus modeled for us what it means to be sent. He modeled for us what it means to know you. He modeled for us what it means to pray. He modeled for us what it means to worship and to live perfectly. But God, the thing that so often we don't think about is that Jesus modeled sentness for us. And so God, I pray that we would be the kind of people that don't just take your story and and keep it to ourselves and live a stagnant Christian life, but that we would recognize, God, that you have invited us to find joy on the mission field, in the narrative of sharing the gospel. And God, that we'd be bold enough to step through fear in order to find that joy. So God, this this month, as we are a church that has gospel conversations, Father, would you supernaturally move through Zoom calls, FaceTime calls, however we share the gospel, God, would you supernaturally show up and profoundly show up, God, so that we could have stories of dead people coming to life?
God, no circumstance affected the church in 1 Peter. I pray that we are that kind of church and that we continue to do what you called us to do. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting resonate.net.